Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Vamos começar então, porque a história é longa. called him Il Phenomena, the Phenomenon. In August 1997, Ronaldo was 20 years old. He'd just broken the world transfer record for the second time in a year, leaving Barcelona for Serie A with Inter Milan, and was on his way to winning that year's Ballon d'Or. Best of all, he'd just had his first cover on 4-4-2. By the end of his five years in Italy, he would add a UEFA Cup and a World Cup to his collection. But was his time at Inter a success? A feature in the latest magazine looks back on the period and how Ronaldo went from Il Phenomeno to Il Problema for the Neretz Jury. This is the 442 podcast where we dig into the biggest stories in football. This week we delve into Ronaldo and Inter and discuss some things you might not have realised about this season's Champions League. I'm Connor Pope and I'm here with Italian football expert Matt Barker. Hi Matt. Hello. And 442's digital editor Joe Bruin. Hi Joe. Hello. So to start Matt, you've written this piece about Ronaldo's time at Inter between 97 and 2002 in the latest magazine. Um, can you just tell us a bit about why you wanted to write this piece? Because there's no obvious anniversaries as far as I'm aware. There's no obvious anniversary. It, it was just um, looking at the time in, in, in Ronaldo's career and, and um, Inter as a club when you, you thought these these two sort of stars align, everything was in place, and, and yet it all kind of went terribly wrong for, for various reasons. So it, it was just a, looking at that time, looking at what, what was ultimately a, a, a very bad luck story, and just a great excuse for some lovely images. I'm looking at the layout here, you know, and, and um, <laughs> that, that sort of great interkit and sans hero. I think it was it was really that period when, when Serie A still had a lot of glamour, mm. uh, and it wasn't yet tarnished, um, which is interesting because in the background... Deep in the background, Calciopoli was was sort of brewing up, you know the the match fixing, the, the match the fixing UV scandals, and, and everything yeah. that was going on there. But this was still very much in the shadows at the time. And so, uh, Ronaldo had moved to Inter after just a year at Barcelona. Obviously, been at PSV before that, and it was the I think second time in about a year that he'd broken the world transfer re- record. Um, how did that transfer come about after just one season at the Camp Nou? Yeah, but basically, I mean, I, I don't know. It'd be a bit unfair to say that Barcelona would be an arrogant. I mean, it was this. He was still a young kid. He turned up. He, I think he'd signed initially a five-year deal. Maybe it was a bit less than that. Maybe two, three years. And uh, clearly, after the first couple of months, he was a phenomenon. You know, as, as they called him. Um, and so Barcelona, uh, the president Nunez, promised him um, improved terms, and he said, well, "We'll talk at the end of the year, maybe over the winter break." Uh, and we want to sort of tie you down to a longer deal, and we want to give you more money, and so on. That never happened. Um, and so Ronaldo and, and his growing uh, group of agents started playing a bit of hardball with, with Barcelona, basically. 
Um, and for various reasons, Barcelona thought, well, this isn't going to happen. It's okay. You know, we're Barcelona. He wants to play for us. He's having a great time. There was a buyout clause, uh, which wasn't massively uh, a massive amount of money. Certainly doesn't seem to be that way at the moment. I think it's something like 40 million quid or something like that. Um, and they felt fairly secure with that. But there were a lot of clubs circulating around, particularly Italian clubs. Inter weren't in the front rank. Lazio were mentioned, Juventus. I think Rangers, brilliantly, were mentioned as well. And, and, and <laughs> fantastically, I think the idea was... Um, this is reportedly, I've, n- I've never seen this confirmed anywhere, but what Rangers wanted to do is say to him, look, you can play in the Champions League, but you don't have to play at the weekends. You don't have to play domestic games. So th- there was a, l- a hell of a lot of interest. Inter kind of blindsided everybody. Brazil, Ronaldo was with Brazil playing in the Copa America, I believe it was, and, and Inter approached him then. They bought out the clause. Um, I think they were only the second foreign club to ever do that in Spain. Um, and Ronaldo has got ties to Italy. I think his grandmother is Italian or was, was, was Italian. So, you know, he, he kind of felt this pull as well. I don't think he necessarily wanted to leave. He had an amazing season at Barcelona. But he felt a little bit betrayed. And I'm sure there were agents whispering in his ear a bit as well. Mm. He'd been offered a lot more money at Inter. There was still, as, as I mentioned, there was still this glamour allure about Serie A at the time. His relationship with Barcelona has never been fixed. Mm. Uh, no, the Real Madrid thing didn't help. But, you know, he's, he's never quite... Um, you know, he never talks particularly fondly of, of, of the club. You, you say that. I mean, he, he scored 40 goals in 46 games that season. I think people forget how good he was. Mm. Still didn't get their Player of the Year award mm. because of the ill feeling towards the end of that season. So, you know, the president announced a nine-year contract for him at the end of the season. It's and then one day later, you know, he came out and Ronaldo came out and said, no, actually, that's, that's a lie. It's interesting. He, um, he later told 442 after his career had ended that um, that season at Barcelona was the best of his career. And I think actually, if you look at the pure statistics, other than perhaps his mm. season in the Brazilian leagues before that, um, I think that's probably right. But Inter at the time, Roy Hodgson had just left. So there was a new manager coming in. Who was that? Yeah, Hodgson had just left. Uh, hadn't been a massive success for him there. And Gigi Simone came in, uh, an Italian coach, who, um, a bit of a father figure, really, um, and brought some stability to the club, which I hadn't had for quite some time, it's, it's it's quite difficult to keep track of um, track of coaches. So Simone, for that first season at Ronaldo was at, was at uh, at Inter. Simone was there, uh, and Simone tried to be a buffer because there was huge media interest. You know, Ronaldo arrives, he's, he's suddenly um, you know getting cameras stuck in his face and, and all this sort of stuff. And it, even in pre season, I think mean, it, it mentions there in pre season that you know it, it was, everything was a drama with Inter. Everything was pressure. Simone asked for time, and 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 the, the then president said there is no time, and this is this isn't you know this is August of the mm. game, of the season hasn't even kicked off. A lot of that pressure was on Ronaldo, and and Simone did a good job actually of being a buffer and and just say oh, just leave him alone, you know. Um, Ronaldo was a star, but he didn't really have star qualities. He was no David Beckham. He wasn't particularly comfortable in the spotlight. And so, how bad were his injuries over this five year period? And and how much time did he spend out of the game with them? They they were pretty shocking. Um, I mean, he spent... I mean, that first season, which was wonderful and and to to, to many extents was an extension of what he'd achieved at at Barcelona, he was pretty much injury-free. I think he had a couple of strains and so on. Um, But then he just had a succession of knee injuries, um, which happened over the... Basically, for the the rest of his time at Inter. Um, And he was out for, I, I guess in total, certainly the best part of two seasons, best part of two years. He'd initially had knee injury. Uh, it had been flagged up when he was at PSV. So clearly there were problems there. There are arguments, there have been a lot of arguments about Inter's medical staff and, and, and about their training as well. He sort of bulked up a, an awful lot. Mm. You see him now and he's clearly, he's a big 
Big lad, isn't big, lad. big old unit, you know. So you clearly it was kind of there. But they don't, they don't call him the skinny Ronaldo. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, if you look at his, you know, if you look at his legs, I mean, it's probably second only to Roberto Carlos in terms of you know having these huge mm. um, leg muscles and, and definition and so on. So he, you know, there was always an awful lot of pressure on his knees, um, and and it was a lot of his, you know, speed and turning and and all this sort of stuff that that would go on. And 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 one of the first injuries was when he basically sort of wrong-footed someone taking a penalty, and and he felt something go um, when he did that. And and the San Siro turf is notoriously pretty mm. poor. It's a bit of a mud bath sometimes. You know, the, the, the Milan weather's not great. There's two teams on the you know, using the pitch every week. Um, yeah, it, it was knee injuries, and, and it kept him out for an awful lot. Um, Michael Owen, actually, I was chatting to him recently for, for a future 442 piece, and he was telling me when he went to Madrid that time, Ronaldo was there. Ronaldo was, was very gregarious, friendly guy, took, took Owen under his wing, and, and they became quite matey. But he said he couldn't bend his knees. He, he would notice right. in training, they're doing sort of limbering up stretching exercises, and he just, he couldn't, you know. I mean, I, I can't touch my toes for a lot of other reasons, but then I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not an athlete in my prime or whatever, you know. Um, and now, like, just, just the idea of him doing that, just he just couldn't do it. And, and Owen was saying that when, when you saw him run, he'd have this kind of shuffling style of running. It, it, it kind of lost um, that, that sort of blistering pace and so on. Um, so uh, it, it, it had a massive effect. Yeah, on it's surprising it. to hear because actually my memory of him at Real Madrid was still that he was an astonishingly fast player. He would leave defended it in his way, despite actually sometimes not mm. looking like he would be the, the slipperiest of, of defenders. We were just talking before the podcast about how it's almost a miracle that he managed to prolong his career uh, for so long. You know, mm. Even at Milan, when he was clearly massively overweight, you know, his goal-scoring record was still very good. Yeah. You know, going back to the Inter period, you know, this was a race to get fit for France 98 in the end, mm. and he managed to do it. And he still looked like the incredible phenomenon that he was. Mm. I mean, and when, when you put into context the fact that that first couple of years at Inter... He won the Ballon d'Or in 97, player of the tournament at the 98 World Cup, and then obviously the 1998 UEFA Cup where he was phenomenal mm. in the final against uh, against Lazio um, and scored that fantastic goal. Um, it seems amazing that we talk about this un- unfilled promise, but actually there was still an incredible player there with yeah. everything. Yeah, and I think probably the problem was, as I was saying, there was a lot of pressure, a lot of drama into and, and a lot of that came from, from the president, Massimo Moratti, who was the son of Angelo Moratti, who who sort of won um, a succession of titles with Inter in in, in, the, in the sixties, the Grandi Inter they called them, um, and and Moratti Junior was was very keen to sort of repeat that success. Uh, we we make a lot over here about Inter and Milan, AC Milan being rivals, but really the big rivalries with Juventus, mm. and to an extent Inter are always in Juventus' shadow. I mean, those, those are comfortably the two biggest teams in Italy, um, and and Juve. Okay, you know, we now know they weren't doing everything correctly, but th- there seems to be something correct and, and very kind of um, respectable about Juventus that they, they would just keep churning over, keep keep um, you know not not shouting too much, but just 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 generating these championship winning teams. Lippi was there at the time, and he would famously just bring one or two names every season, not go mm. too mad. And there was Massimo Ratti spending an absolute fortune on players. Um, Simone did a really good job actually of bringing that team together because um, there were some quite sort of disparate characters there. Um, but he but he managed to sort of keep a lid on it, and and he got sort of people like Jokef playing really well. Jokef um, came in to replace Paul Ince, mm. basically. And Jokef, <laughs> yeah, uh, and and Jokef linked up fantastically well with Ronaldo. They had a really good understanding, and and they were sort of very kind of matey together. Um, 
and and you know it, it all looks set. I mean, it, it looked mm. potentially like Marathi had finally got it right. Okay, he spent an awful lot of money getting getting Ronaldo in, and and he was spending an awful lot of money on his wages and so on. But the club appeared to be happy, and it appeared to be you know there was a good launch pad then for actually go on and and get the big prize Marathi, which was which was winning the Scudetto mm. and then potentially winning you know the the, the Champions League to repeat his his father's feat. And Alvaro Recoba came in that same summer as well, didn't mm. he? And he? He still got a bit of a kind of cult figure status oh, in yeah. this country, I think. Yeah, yeah, thanks to Pro Evolution Soccer, basically <laughs> yeah. scoring forty yard worldies. Yeah, <laughs> but just going back to your point about unfulfilled uh, promise for mm. another, it's, it's essentially you look at his trophy hall and it and it's not befitting a player of of his talents. You know, even at Barcelona, they finished second that year. Actually, the season ran into June. And he missed the last three games of that season because he was at Le Tournoi mm. and FIFA wouldn't release him. Uh, Barca lost one of those games and then lost the title by two points. Then he goes to Inter. They don't win Serie A. He doesn't win the Champions League in Madrid. You know, it all kind of adds up. Yeah. It's just in the wrong place, wrong time. Unfortunate. Yeah, that is, a, that is astonishing to think about it. Now, we spoke a bit about uh, that UEFA Cup final. That was one of the best games of his career, probably. But actually, the two worst days of his Inter career... Both came away at Lazio. Now, first was the 2000 Coppa Italia final, where he, I think it was his first game back after his returning from a knee injury, mm. and it, it happened again. Yeah, absolutely horrific. Um, and, and just, you know, the whole of, I mean, whether the Juventus fans felt the same way, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm sure a large chunk of them did. But, you know, it, it shocked the whole of Italian football, and, and, and people were literally, you know, teammates, but not just teammates, you know, these, these big kind of burly ultras on, on, on the on on the terraces from from both teams, everybody were literally was literally in tears, you know, mm. because he was a very simpatico kind of guy. Everybody loved the way he played, um, and and people wanted to see him do well. And and for that to happen was was you know, uh, I mean, cruel. It's, it's it's beyond that, really. I watched the clips of it on YouTube again uh, yesterday, and in fact, what's really interesting is how quickly the Lazio defenders react to it. Mm. They're clearly shocked by how mm. much pain he's in. Obviously, his teammates do as well. I know he says, if I see those pictures, it's like the pain has returned. He can't even look no. at the images. And, and actually, they are still quite shocking watching him go off the field. And that left him out for, I think, another season or yes. more, didn't it? Yeah. Which yeah. is really, again, quite remarkable. But then the final day of the season in 2001, 2002, Inter are top of the league by a point. They go away to Lazio. They just need to win in order to, to win the Serie A title. Mm. Um, what happens then? Well, what happens is they, they manage to sort of uh, blow a lead. Um, they, they were two on up. They lose 4-2. In the meantime, I think it's Roma um, who sort of grabs second place uh, ahead, ahead of Inter and, and Juve win the title. Now, Ronaldo at the time got in an awful lot of trouble because he said, uh, basically, he's, I think he's, he's, his phrase was something like, they, they're getting little bits of help at Juventus. you know, mm. and, and you could read that as him saying the way that people think, oh, you know, Man U, Liverpool at home, they're always going to get given, <laughs> you know. But that's now been kind of held up as him saying, well, maybe he knew something else was going on, that the referees were getting got at and, and, and all this sort of stuff. I think he served a ban for that as he well. Served he served a ban for that. He got in an awful lot of trouble for it. And and, and I think that's, you know, he, he's he's sort of, this this is probably why he's, you know, Inter uh, were already sort of seen as one of the victims of, of Calciopoli and, and ultimately there's an argument they benefited greatly from it. You mm. know, they, they won a string of titles. They they they. They got some fantastic players on board, um, 
there's, there's a hell of a lot of bitterness in, in, in Italian football around all of this from, from sort of both sides, actually. Um, a lot of finger pointing is still going on and, and there's probably a bit more fallout to come. But yeah, this, this is seen as, a, this game is almost like an iconic game. You can, you can easily take the side as, well, that was just a very inter thing to do. They mm. were that kind of club, <laughs> that sort of team. Um, they would blow leads, they would blow opportunities. Um, it's funny how some clubs have personalities and Inter kind of have that, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a picture of Tottenham here and, and there's always <laughs> that thing about being Spursy. Yeah. I mean, there's an argument of being Intery as well, mainly because, you know, there would always be favourites to win the title and, and normally by Christmas time they'd, they'd kind of blown it. So that game against Lazio, Ronaldo goes off substituted. He's, he's weeping as he goes off. He knows that they've blown the title. Um, and then he moves to Real Madrid that summer. Um before I ask about why he left, and you know maybe the, op- the the reasons are obvious, I want to ask: Did he have much of a relationship with the ultras? Did they adore him? I know they can be incredibly fickle. If we look at that time, Christian Vieri went almost an entire season without celebrating a goal because he was in a dispute with the fans. But obviously, recently we've seen Mauro Cardi uh, get into a big argument with them, and. Only in the past couple of weeks, uh, frankly, not be the most supportive fan base for Romelu Lukaku as he stands up against racism in Italy. But what were they like with Ronaldo? Vieri and, and Icardi as well are both sort of notorious nut jobs, basically. Vieri would, would start an argument with anybody, you know. Um, and, and so he, yeah, he, he decided to pick a row with, with, the, with the Inter Ultra <laughs> and, and that, that sort of lasts to this day, as far as I'm aware. I, sadly, I think the Lukaku thing, I think is someone else going on, which is, mm. which is very disturbing. But yeah, I mean... They loved him at first, but they, they quickly lost patience. I mean, it's not, there's never been, you know, I've kind of hinted at this before about dramas and so on. It's never been the most patient of, of fan bases, the most patient of clubs. And it, it, it's funny, that I, I just mentioned Michael Owen. I think you can draw a parallel there. You know, he struggled with injuries and people are always like, is he ever going to come back? Is he going to sort of, you know. Um, Ronaldo probably didn't help himself by the fact that all his medical team tended to be in Brazil and there'd, right. there'd be lots of clips of him. You know, on on the sand playing keepy uppy, which I'm sure was part of all his you know rehabilitation and, and and everything else. But you know, when it's a cold winter in Milan and 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 they're struggling to get results, yeah, there was a loss loss of patience there, and there was a lot of ill feeling when he went to Madrid because there was this sense, oh, he's fit now and he's going. Right. You know, he's, we we spent all this money on and we've we've got him fit and well, and, and someone else is going to reap the benefits. Mm. That then got times a hundred when when he comes back and signs for Milan. Mm. Now he's, um, he's, he's, you know, that, that, that's all been fixed. Whatever the ultras, how they feel about him, I don't know. But, you know, you, you get a San Siro now, you can buy Ronaldo scarves and he's a club uh, ambassador and right, okay. all this sort of stuff, you know. So he's, he's healed his relationship with, with Inter. Some um, of that does seem slightly unfair, given that I think he signed for Real Madrid in the August and didn't make his debut until October. Mm. But, um, Joe, can we just talk a little bit about the kind of relationship that 442 has had with Ronaldo? Um, obviously, the magazine... It was set up in the mid-90s, just ahead of this guy coming on the scene and clearly being the best in the world for a few years. But there's been a number of occasions where we've interviewed him and, and had a relationship with him over that time. Yeah, so I think he was first on the cover around the time that he joined Inter. Mm. But then uh, even when he was at Madrid, um, you know, he, he's, 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 he's just got that certain aura about him, hasn't he? You know, he's, he's Brazilian for a start, which always helps. <laughs> yeah. He scored an obscene amount of goals. He did well at World Cups as well, which always helps a, a player's per- reputation. Mm. But um, the year before, he was our guest editor for our 20th anniversary. We did a, a kind of a Galacticos remake with Figo Zidane yeah, yeah, yeah. getting into pose in the old kit. Uh, and, he, and he loved doing that. And then a year later, yeah, one of our Brazilian contacts uh, got in touch with him, asked him if he fancied being the guest editor. <laughs> and he, and he, he said yes straight away. So, so we went to his house in Sao Paulo. 
you got a Rolling Stones t-shirt just for the occasion. Uh, <laughs> the English people would like that. But no, he, he, he got, got his own tuxedo out, got oh, the party brilliant. hats out, got some cake out. He, he was all over it. That's incredible. I, I actually dug up the, um, the issue that first had him on the cover, and that was August 97. Um, so it was the month that he moved yeah. to Inter Milan. Um, luckily, we had him in a Brazil kit on the front <laughs> rather than a Barcelona kit. But the, uh, the, the feature was... Uh, written by Bobby Robson, who obviously also left Barcelona that summer, uh, about Ronaldo, and then an interview with him, which um, yeah, is fantastic to to look back and and see, and it's it's him talking about his own potential. He doesn't think that he's there yet, that he's the best in the world, but that he wants to be. Yeah, and it's incredible to actually see it from completely the uh, the other angle. It's, it's really nice hearing Bobby Robson talk about the Ronaldo as well. The way that he spoke about him, and just he just put him on this pedestal. And just thought he was superhuman from another planet. I mean, yeah. obviously, the, the Compostela goal is, is so famous with Bobby Robson's reaction. <laughs> it felt like he was doing that basically every day in training, just looking at this player and going, I've never seen anything like you yeah. before. And in yeah. return, I think Ronaldo also lauded, always lauded uh, Bobby Robson as, as one of the best managers uh, he ever worked with. And there was a, a documentary that we did with him, with Ronaldo as well, wasn't there? Yeah, just before just before the last World Cup, we did a, a documentary with him in, in Madrid for uh, talking about his redemption, basically, mm. after, you know, not, not winning at France 98, yeah. coming back for 2002, you know, taking that tournament by storm again, and finally winning it. <laughs> so yeah, he was great for that as well. And yeah, we're lucky enough that he's He's got a good relationship with 442 and, uh, and yeah, we use that to our advantage. Um, finally, can we just talk about the modern day Inter? They've had a really big summer. Obviously, Conte's come in. They've spent big. They've got mm. Lukaku. Uh, they've got Alexis Sanchez. We'll possibly see about that one. But a couple of other players as well. Valentino Lazaro and Matteo Politano came in for, yeah. for reasonable big sums. Could they win Serie A this season? I, I no, I, 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 I still I, I can't really see beyond Juventus again. Yeah. You know, it's a really you just think, Oof. you know. But I, I can see Juventus Napoli under Angelotti really interesting. But I think Inter, you know, Conte will sort Inter out. They've, they've had a bit of a sort of you know wayward last last sort of couple of years, and and um, I, I guess Icardi's going to be seen as the scapegoat for a lot of that. Now mm. he's gone, they're going to they're going to feel a lot more stable. They do look good. But so do Juve, you know, and, and potentially so do Napoli. And I think it's between those three. And I think probably, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go Juventus and, and, and Inter would run them close. I think possibly Inter a, a Ronaldo-esque figure away from, from doing it. And, and, and the, the, the question now is whether, you know, Juventus is probably different because of a guaranteed certain, you know, international profile, Champions League every year and so on. But whether a club like Inter now, whether other Italian clubs can attract a player like Ronaldo. Um, you know, you look at Roma and, and it's people like Smalling joining them and, and nothing against him, but, you know, it, the, the, the sort of the glamour stuff is, is, is kind of elsewhere now. Obviously, it's the Premier League and, 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 um, and Spain. Chris Smalling isn't exactly in the kind of pantheon of great Italian defenders, no, is no, he? No. Joe, what do you think? Do you think Lukaku can be successful in Italy? Yeah, I do. I think he, he, he clearly needed to get out of Manchester United. You know, there was clearly some ill feeling there. He didn't feel like they were going to back him this summer. Mm. I think he looked for reassurance to say, please end these the speculation, it didn't come. Um, and, you know, it didn't work out for him, ultimately. You know, he wasn't a bad signing. Um, he joined them at a bad time, basically. I think he will score goals in Serie A. He's already doing it, basically. Um, in terms of this season, you know, I think, th- you know, they'll be looked at in Europe as well after crumbling last year and letting Tottenham through at the last minute. Mm. Uh, they've obviously been dealt a pretty bad hand with, with getting Barcelona and, and Dortmund in the group. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be another season of... 
uh, trying to get a bit closer, I think. But, you know, as Matt says, Juve are so far ahead and Napoli have, have been so consistent for so long. They are clearly the challengers to yeah. Juve. So I think Inter have got probably, you know, if they can finish third, it's probably not a terrible season. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just a reminder that if you subscribe to 442 Magazine today, you get the first five issues sent straight to your door for just £5. Go to 442.com and click on the big subscribe button at the top. So the Champions League starts next week. Uh, Joe, you just mentioned into there. Maybe we should start with them. They, they've got an incredibly difficult group. They've got Barcelona, Dortmund and Slavia Prague. Um, so they kick off at the San Siro against Slavia Prague on Tuesday. Is there any chance against Barcelona and Dortmund that they can get through to the knockouts, do you think? I've got a feeling there might be because it'll just raise their game. I think Conte is such a kind of um, you know, experienced taskmaster. And just getting a bit of that sort of, you know, straight away, thinking Barcelona and Dortmund at, at, against Inter, that sounds great. Mm. That sounds really good. And I'm, I'm sure the Inter fans are sort of going to be bang up for it. It'll, it'll be really sort of packed atmospheric San Siro, which it, it's not all the time. Um, th- th- they'll be up for it. I think mean, they'll be really looking forward to it. Um, it's it's going to be it's a massive ask. Of course it is. But I think, you know, that, that, that first game on Tuesday, you can see them winning that potentially pushing on from there I think you maybe maybe get a point away in, in Germany and Spain um, s- and it's not bad you know you spoke earlier about Inter having this uh, almost Spursy like quality <laughs> um, last season they really showed that in a group with Tottenham in didn't they they did I mean you know it, it's, it's easy to forget just how close Tottenham were to going out in the group yeah. stage last year you know they had to claw it back at the Camp Nou and and you know they did but Inter should have had that wrapped up so easily. I yeah, mean, you know, I think it they would have even been a been an issue. They won their first two games and then failed to win pretty much for the rest of the group. I think, um, but there is one fantastic fact about the Champions League that I think is really interesting, which is that Inter are one of only five teams that Messi has played against in the Champions League that he's not scored against. Yeah, and I think he has actually played against them a few times yeah. as well. So it is a, a good stat. Um, I don't think there's too many teams that he's not scored against. But uh. No, I, I actually can't remember the others. I meant to jot them down, but <laughs> never mind. Um, I think one of them might be Atletico Madrid, which is, um, which is interesting. But um, do you think that he might break that record this season? You always back him to break any record that he comes up against, I think. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's ever watched him play football would, would back him <laughs> to do pretty much anything. Um, Zinedine Zidane, still unbeaten as a manager in the Champions League, remarkably. Uh, they've got PSG, Club Brugge and Galatasaray in their group. Do you think they, they could get through the whole group stage without him breaking uh, that record? Yeah, I, I, I mean, they have to have a better season this year. I mean, like, mm. you know, frankly... Last season was 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 crap. You know they finished third. They were 19 points behind Barca, got knocked out. They got battered by Barca in the Copa del Rey semis, and then they were humiliated by Ajax. So you know, after having it all his own way at Madrid, you know they were kind of brought back down to earth. It's not been a great start to this season either. You know they've drawn two of the three games. 
suddenly Gareth Bale's back in favour, doing quite well. I was going to say, uh, the, the kind of surprising early story at the Bernabeu is that Gareth Bale looks on pretty good form. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he did an interview uh, at the weekend, I think, where he basically said, you know, I'm not happy still. Mm. Unsurprisingly, when they basically tried to hawk him out to anyone from yeah, China, yeah. please buy him. Um, but yeah, you know, he's, at least he's in the team. He's, you know, scoring. He's, he's getting his handicap down at the same time. Um, I do wonder a little bit whether it seemed as though the reason that Bale stayed in the end was that Florentino Perez decided that he should stay despite Zidane wanting him to leave. And when Perez wants something that the manager doesn't, it usually doesn't spell great future for the manager there. No, well, I think Zidane's handled this situation quite well, actually. Okay. Um, I mean, he's, he's a fairly... Placid's probably the wrong word. I, I think he's, there's a lot going on underneath that surface, isn't there? But, you know, he, he's basically turned around and said, you know, Gareth's playing, we welcome him and, and, and everything else. He's not made too much of a, a, of a thing out of this yet. As you say, there could be an awful lot going on behind the scenes. Um, it would take a... You know, Zidane is, is the, the, the sort of status he has at Real Madrid and, and, and around the world, really. It would take a brave president to just sort of you know, get rid of him mm. halfway through the season before Christmas or, or whatever. But this group stage could, you know, if, if a bit of his tarnish comes off, if, if so, you know, PSG get the better of them or he drops points at Galatasaray or something like that, that could, and, 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 and you know, as Joe said, it, it's not been a fantastic start. So that could just be, you know, the excuse he needs, really. Mm. The good thing is that they are with PSG who, you know, have their own demons in this competition <laughs> and, you know, can't achieve anything close to what, they're, what they want to. And Madrid have got the better of them in, in recent yeah. seasons and probably will again. Um, just going back to Bale quickly, I mean, I think he just wants to feel a bit of love now. You know, yeah. he's you know, had a really difficult summer, but it's, it's helpful that he's back in the team now. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's got pedigree in this competition, you know, and, and as a footballer in general, he still, he still performs really well mm. for Wales. You know, there's no reason why he can't come back. You have to look at David Beckham at Real Madrid, for example, who was effectively bombed out by Capello when he said he was going to join LA Galaxy, mm. came back into the team and then won La Liga. And it was, you know, a happy ending for him. So it can still be the same for Bale. And, and ultimately, the bottom line is that they're going to struggle to, to flog him anyway with those wages. Yeah. Now, going back to Italy quickly, um, Atalanta had a fantastic season last year, which was really quite unexpected, certainly I felt. Um and they're going to be playing their home games in the Champions League at the San Siro. Um, so what's going on there? Well, basically, Atalanta are one of the few teams that um, actually own their stadium in, in Italy. A lot of them are still owned by local council, which is, which is one of the reasons the, the league is in such a mess because all sort of match day revenue just doesn't go to the club. It, it, it will go, mm. to the, go to local council. Atalanta own their stadium uh, and they're, they're sort of rebuilding it at the moment. Um, because, it, as you say, it's 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 one of these that they, they rather dismissively call them Provinciali in, in, in Italy, provincials, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is you know. But it, it was one of the one of these sort of clubs that always promised to do something because it always had a fantastic youth setup, and, mm. and, and I, I believe still has. You know, so it always had really good little um, platforms to sort of work from. But invariably, their best players would would, would get poached. You know, um, so it, it always kind of promised it was going to do something, and 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 as you say, lo and behold, managed to do that last season. Um, there was a bit of luck in there as well. I think so many clubs are out of sorts, and, and Atlanta sees their sees their moment. But with the stadium, with it being rebuilt, it's it's not up to UEFA standards. Um, okay. And Atlanta, <coughs> quick geography lesson, isn't too far from Milan. It's right. sort of along, just just sort of heading 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 out 
East, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's not too much of a threat to their fans to sort of have to travel over to Milan. Um, the problem is, there's, there's Atalanta fans are a bit of a lively bunch. There's not a huge amount of love lost between Atalanta and either, either, either the two Milan clubs. So, yeah, if, 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 if things start going wrong for them in the Champions League, you, you, can, you can see a few... Um, a few sort of seats being thrown on pitches and things like that. I think they'll quite happily dismantle that stadium. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the stadium was actually cleared by UEFA. In the oh, it was, was it? But, okay. but, but it's only 22,000 seats. Right. And, you know, San Siro is, is 80. Yeah. So, and it's, yeah. I think it's a 25-minute drive or something yeah. like that. So it's possible. But, you know, you, you kind of got the, the irony of... of Milan Stadium hosting European matches yeah. when they are not I, in the competition this I, year. I was going to so say, yeah. am I right in thinking that Atalanta are in the Champions League because they pipped AC Milan yes. to that <laughs> yeah. spot? Fantastic. Yeah, and Milan yeah. were not allowed to play <laughs> in the Europa League because of their financial of uh, course, yeah. of course. conduct, let's say. Um, on a kind of, you know, the more political elements of, uh, of all this, the Champions League reforms uh, seem to have hit the buffers this week. Uh, Joe, you were having a bit of a look at that, weren't you? Yeah, so it's it's kind of their their workaround for a, a European Super League, which mercifully has been turned down. Mm. But the kind of the gist of it was that they would have four groups of eight teams in the Champions League, where they would all play each other home and away. So automatically, you're looking at more European matches. Mm. But I think they also wanted to introduce that as part of a kind of a, a three tier European system. I'm not exactly sure how that third tier was was planned to work out, but. The gist of it would be that the, the 24 of the 32 Champions League teams would automatically qualify again for next season's competition. Right. So you're effectively, you know, ignoring the league for Champions yeah. League qualification. And I think that is why it's ultimately been turned down because, you know, these leagues want to try and rem- have a glint of competitive edge. Absolutely. And I think there was also a pushing from teams like Celtic and Ajax that they want to change the Champions League and so it is more weighted towards clubs and their historical uh, European presence rather than the current national standings, which obviously uh, for Scottish teams <laughs> doesn't do too well. Um, finally, before we stop, I think we should maybe look at the British teams in the Champions League this season. Obviously, let's start with the, the holders, Liverpool. How much of a chance have they got of holding onto their title, do you think? I mean, they've got they've got as good a chance as they had last year. I mean, they, 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 they didn't do too, too much, if anything, to the team over the summer. Mm. You know they've started this season just as well as they as they ended it last time. Man City are the, are the ones that everybody will be looking at once again because you know clearly they have the capability and should be. You know mm. they they really should be getting into the semis in the final this year and you know in winning it basically. You know, Pep Guardiola has stayed this season as expected. Yeah, but that's the thing that he really wants now because it's been so long since he's won it now as well. Twenty eleven was the last time. He won the Champions League, which when you think of him as being actually the prominent manager of the last decade, seems a remarkable yeah. thing. What I would say is it's, it's very easy for, for me to say they've got to, you know, they've got to do this, got to mm. do that. You have so many huge European clubs who all yeah. think the same thing. You know, Bayern have effectively underachieved. You know, Madrid will be desperate to get it back. Barca have always got the huge chance. Yeah. PSG, who knows what will happen with them. They're <laughs> not going to win it, but... Yeah, they're, yeah. they're a threat at least yeah, yeah. they could certainly n- knock out someone who could win it exactly <laughs> I think so there's sort of about City that, that they're kind of following that little template aren't they the, the way they've sort of approached the Champions League over the past few seasons took them a while to get, in, get into the rhythm of it um, took them a while to sort of get out of group stages they started doing that I hate to say I'm like some sort of gnarled old blinkered tabloid hack but I really, think, <laughs> I, I, I really do think you know, City and Liverpool are, are, are comfortably the two, the two best teams in Europe. So, you know, they should win it. But when it becomes a knockout competition, as you say, Bayern are there, Barcelona, Juventus. 
I, th- um, I just feel like there's, there's, I don't know whether it's fair to say there's a little mental hurdle for City because mm. you, you look at the, the way that they've gone out of the last mm. two against fellow Premier League teams, conceding a lot of goals. And this is, you know, it's not something that they do in the league. And I don't know whether that you know last season they should have they should have beaten Tottenham. Yeah, they ignore the, the the VAR stuff. They they should have won that game comfortably. But you know, as soon as they scored, they conceded again. And I think there is definitely that kind of hurdle in their minds mm. about whether they can do this. Um, you know, they should be able to get over it. But I think it's a thing that's that's lingering in the background. That's interesting. On a kind of similar point, you know, finally we'll just look at England's Inter Milan, Tottenham. Obviously, they got to the final last year but there doesn't feel like there's a level of expectation about them to do it again no one's going they got that far they should win the Champions League this season would that actually be a bit of a boost for them because perhaps they don't have that that mental block that they can't get to a final they've done it uh, could they maybe be the dark horses in this competition I mean Spurs have always always got a great chance because of they've got great players and they've got a fantastic manager mm. And, you know, the confidence that they will have gained from being in perilous situations last year that proves that they can they can kind of get out of anything. You know, they went to the new Camp and, and albeit against a slightly weakened Barca team, they still got what they needed from that game. They, they lost their first two matches, I think, or they were certainly down after those two games and, mm. and clawed it back. So they can do anything. Um, I don't think that they probably will have the quality for it just in the end. But, you know... Stranger things have happened, and they and they, you know, what they achieved last year was 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 remarkable, basically. I, th- I think they used a lot of their luck up last year as well, didn't they? To be to be honest, uh, but it's it is interesting with a lot of these clubs where we're living in this moment. Where, where we've got these two fantastic teams. It's almost like, well, okay, we're not expected to win the league. If if you're Spurs, if you're Arsenal, Man United, even nowadays, you know, so you think, well, we can just chuck our eggs into this basket and 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 aim for a top four finish in the league. Fine, you don't have to go completely, you know. I'm not saying it's a gimme, but you know, it, 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 there's not that kind of pressure there anymore because it's perfectly understandable if you if you end up being runners up to Liverpool and, and, and Manchester City. So that does kind of free you up a bit, focus more on Europe. We don't have much time, but in the idea of fairness, perhaps we should cover the other English team in the Champions League. Are Chelsea going to win it? No, no. <laughs> Thanks to Matt Barker and Joe Brune for coming on today. You can read Matt's beautiful essay on Ronaldo and Inter Milan in the latest issue of 442 magazine, available online and in shops. It also includes a rundown of all the contenders for this season's Champions League. And if you subscribe online today, you can get your first five issues for just a quid each. If you enjoy the podcast, please do give us a generous rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the brilliant Howell Griff for the music. You can hear more from them on iTunes and Spotify too.